Hi, Creative. It's Lauren here. I just want to remind you that if you love the podcast, the best way to support the show is by leaving it a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Actually, Spotify just started accepting ratings. So go ahead and rate it on there and tell all your friends to do it because it's super simple. It takes literally one second. I mean, maybe four seconds, but it's really quick. And uh, another great way to support the show is by sharing it with a friend or posting about it on social media. If you do post it on social media, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. And remember to tag the guests too, so they can also share. Okay, now let's get to the show. Have you ever had the idea to start your own company but let fear of failure stand in the way? I have. And it's something we all have to work through. But have you ever thought about failure as just part of the process? That maybe failure is a thing that leads to success. Today's guest is going to talk about how failure is a necessary learning experience behind all successful companies. And she'll share all the tools you need, mentally and emotionally, to give your business, project, or new idea the best chance of making it. She also has some great tools on how to grow a TikTok page, which I think we could all use in this era. So I'm really excited for you to hear from her. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, and creative coach. And this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word creative, take fear out of the driver's seat, and love yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. On the show, we explore the creative process and journey, mental health, spirituality, self-development, and really everything it means to be a person and how to become more human. Today's guest is my friend, Dolma Alton. She's an entrepreneur who once upon a time left Google to take the leap and pursue her dreams. And by the way, she did that with no safety net. She just did it because she felt called to do it. So she's a person who really knows how to trust her gut. And she also knows more than anyone I know about what it takes to make a business or get an idea off the ground. She's the CEO and founder of Make Lane, which is a one-stop shop for online courses. It's a community built for women to start the e-commerce brands of their dreams. She also famously coined the idea of baby showers for entrepreneurs, where the baby is a creative business venture. She calls it Startup Stork. It's one of my favorite ideas for the simple fact that nurturing a creative baby And creating a creative baby, for that matter, is a huge milestone that needs to be celebrated and supported by friends and family, just the same as any other life milestones. This is one of my soapboxes that I definitely like to get on from time to time. This is also Dolma's second time on the show. She was first on in 2019, and since then, she's expanded her business experience tenfold, grown a powerful community, and built a large and loyal following on TikTok. She is sharing everything she's learned on today's show. She talks about the process of scaling your business, tools for networking the right way, how to create value in community, how to deal with creative heartbreak, and how to succeed on TikTok. And that's not even the half of it. Honestly, everything she says is gold, so I recommend keeping a notebook near you if you can to take notes because so much spiritual and soulful wisdom is shared with everything Dolma says. So here she is, my friend, Dolma Alton. By the way, so for people who are listening, we're in a really echoey room, so you're just going to have to deal with it. It's totally fine. Okay. Um, it's beautiful, though, so there's a great visual component. <laughs> dog. Uh, there's a dog in the background <laughs> whose ass was just in the shot. It's going to be great. I was just saying, like, I usually really prepare yeah. for interviews, yeah. like, over-prepare almost. Yeah, yeah. And for some reason, when I did the first interview with you, well, hello, like, welcome back to the Hi. show, Doma. <laughs> hello. But you were one of the first people I interviewed yeah. for my podcast. Actually, it was like a different podcast when I interviewed you for it. It was okay. supposed to be called How to Be an Artist. Oh, I don't even remember that. Yeah. I, what I do remember is I basically forced myself onto your podcast because I met you in Vegas. And then I was like, we should talk and we sh- I, sh- I should be on your podcast. And you were like, okay. And then I kept following up with you. <laughs> but you had a really interesting story because... I think the reason I wanted to have you on back then was because I admired you so much. You're just this young girl, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, you're still really, really young. You You know, you've got a lot of wisdom and you're an old soul, but you're a young human. Yeah. And I was like, God, this is a young girl that so has it together and isn't afraid to go after what she wants, even when it's really risky and Mm -hmm. really scary. And I wasn't to that point yet. And I was, I think I'm like five or six years older than you. Mm -hmm. 
And so I'm like, this is someone I think I can learn a lot from and that the people listening can learn a lot from. And when you're like, oh, I left Google to pursue my dreams with no plan. I'm like, yes, I need to know this person. <laughs> um, and it's paying off. It is. Yeah. 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 You're in a really, I mean, you've, you've launched a company at that uh, time mm -hmm. since no longer working on that company, but have a few different ones you're doing now. Yeah. So I was saying like, I didn't really prepare for yours for some reason. I was yeah. just like, I'm just going to read her bio and go yeah. into it. And it was one of the best conversations I've ever had on the show. Oh, that's so sweet. It's true. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It was good for me too. <laughs> I'm so glad it was mutually pleasurable. <laughs> but I just wonder if you can catch the listeners up on what's been going on mm -hmm. in your life and where you're at now. Yeah. So when we first had that interview, I had just moved to LA actually. And I was working on my first business, which was a clean fragrance brand called Potion. Which I loved. And yeah, you, you were, were my customer. first advertiser too. Oh, I was. I remember <laughs> that now. That was so sweet. And, um, and the concept behind that was how do we, how do we celebrate these artists and perfumers who are making products with completely non-toxic ingredients? And I also just love, for me, I do love fragrance as a consumer, but I wasn't like a big fragrance buff. There are people mm -hmm. out there who are like really intense about it and that wasn't me. But what I do love, and I think you and I share this, is I absolutely love celebrating creatives and I love championing like artistic people and it makes me come alive to see them doing their thing and so I was kind of getting interested in the space and thinking maybe there's an opportunity here so I want to see if I can create almost like the credo beauty or the detox market for fragrances that are non-toxic and so that was my first business that's when you and I met we met in Vegas, which is a funny story. I love yeah. telling people that because um, it just sounds so much cooler than it actually was. Yeah, no, it was very, I mean, it was, it was a really interesting night. Yeah, it was, was some, yeah. like real hodgepodge of people there. <laughs> it was, it truly was. Um, so that was a fun moment. And then I remember just being so struck by, I think, I think you and I just kind of like clicked right away. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt similarly about you. I felt like, wow, she's an old soul. She's like a very soulful person with a lot of depth. And so I kind of like chased you down once we were back in LA and I was like, we need to talk. I love to, to be out. courted. So it was perfect. <laughs> and, um, wait, what's your sign? Aquarius, but I'm a cancer rising. You have Leo vibes. I don't have vibes. any Leo in okay, my chart. I'm a Leo. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Aquarius yeah. and Leo are opposites. Yeah. Sometimes it works out though. It's like my grandpa was a Leo. I was really close with okay, him. Yeah. My grandma's a Leo. Oh. I love a Leo. Well, Leos love themselves. So. Yes, that's perfect. <laughs> so, so that's when we met. And then after that, so I worked on that business for two years and I bootstrapped it. And I think I started it with $10,000 of savings, which, mm -hmm. you know, is a sizable sum, but compared to a lot of businesses, it's not a lot. So it was a really scrappy operation and it was great to learn how to operate an e-commerce business. And I just wore all the hats and I had boxes of perfume with me. You that did. Was, and you sent yeah. them all out yourself because I, I ordered did. from you a few yeah, times and you I would did. send them out with a little love with a note, little note. Yeah, yeah I did and so I, sweet. I took a lot of pride in that but at the same time it was so difficult to scale because it was so time intensive mm -hmm. and and also the thing about starting a business for anybody who's listening who's thinking of starting a business you really need to understand the economics of what that business will be like and if it's actually profitable and if it can scale oh okay can you explain that a little bit yeah so when also Dolma's an amazing teacher so listen up get out your notebooks <laughs> babies <laughs> so what I mean by that is I think especially with businesses that are capital intensive to start, if you have any kind of inventory, if it's any kind of product-based business especially, then you really need to understand what your costs are and what your ex all your expenses are, mm -hmm. not just the cost of goods sold, which is, let's say if I'm selling t-shirts, then the, whatever raw materials go into the t-shirts, those are my cost of goods sold. But I also have a lot of operating expenses, right? Like just, you know, maybe renting out the office or hiring contractors to create social media content or, you know, legal fees or whatever. There are a lot of costs that add up. You need to be realistic about what all those costs are so that you're not being overly optimistic about how profitable the business will be. Mm. Because that is going to determine how much leeway you have to experiment with marketing or try different things or hire another person, right? So that's something that's really important to understand. And it's not that I didn't know that, but for me, it was a question mark going into Potion, which was, I'm going to be buying these products at 50% of the retail price from these suppliers. So I assumed that that was enough margin. I thought the other 50% was enough margin to be able to operate and scale my business, but it wasn't because I had a lot of other expenses that I didn't factor into account. So anyway, all of that is getting a little in the weeds, but what I'll tell people is 
just know your costs, ask around because you don't know what you don't know. So if you just Mm -hmm. sit down and try to, you know, bullet out all your costs, you might be missing some items. So talk to people in your industry and understand what all the costs are that go into it, especially if it's a physical product-based business. And that's going to give you a more realistic assessment of what kind of budget you need to even get it off the ground and how much runway you need to be able to pay for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you need to just be ramen profitable so you can live very scrappily as an entrepreneur. And you and I can go into this later, but even if you are really sort of living on a tighter budget, you need a certain amount of runway and typically that runway will go quicker than you expect. So, yeah. yeah. So you said that people need to talk to people in their industry. Yeah. How do you advise they find them? Oh, this is my favorite question because I love marketing. I mean, networking so much. Well, yeah, I love you're marketing a great too. networker. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy it, which is funny because I identify as an introvert. So I don't necessarily love schmoozing, but I love connecting with people. Well, you don't schmooze though. You actually make yeah, real connections. That's true. how you do it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people miss about people who are intimidated by networking or don't want to go to networking events. I think they have this idea of like the prototypical guy who's shoving his business card in your face, but networking can basically look like you connecting with interesting people over shared interests. Mm -hmm. That's, that's it. So what I would advise is practically speaking, figure out what companies are similar to yours that are a little bit ahead and then look those companies up on LinkedIn and look up the founders, look up people on the team who are relevant, um, identify some very specific questions or areas that you want to learn more about, and then just cold message those people with a thoughtful note that's customized. Don't just blast the same copy and paste message to a hundred people because that's just going to get deleted. Customize the note and say, Hey, I saw that you worked at X, Y, and Z company and that this is your role. I would love to chat for 15 minutes about this thing. And most people are going to ignore you, but a few people will say yes, because a lot of people out there are very generous and they're willing to help. And they got to where they got to because somebody helped them out and took a chance on them. And so ask them for a little bit of their time and then be specific, do your homework. Don't ask anything that's Googleable, right? So once you do get that time with them, then be smart about what you're asking them and then also follow up with them. Follow up after the call or after the coffee or after the meeting and say, hey, that was really helpful. Thank you so much for your time. These are the things I learned. This is how I'll be applying them. I love that, Doma. And then the thing that really cinches the deal and increases your chances of building a long-term relationship with that person, especially if you're looking for a mentor, is you don't just go at it and say, hey, can you be my mentor? That's a big ask of people, especially busy people. What you do is you apply the things they told you about. If they said, read this book, if they said, learn this thing, if they said, go and take this course, then you go and do it. And then you follow up with them and say, hey, I applied your expertise. I applied your advice and it was really helpful. And this is what I learned. And that's going to make you stand out from every other person that reaches out to them, asking them to pick their brain. Also, it tickles their ego because they're like, oh, I've changed a life. (laughs) I've changed a young life today. Somebody just call me Mother Teresa because I've done it. (laughs) No, it's brilliant. And also, okay, so I've also heard people say, like, when you're reaching out to someone who you want to learn from, offer something up. Do you do that or do you just give the specific ask? I try to, but here are the two sides to that. On the one hand, yes. If there is something you can offer up, then be thoughtful. And you might feel like, well, I'm so much earlier in my career. What can I possibly have to offer? But you might be surprised. Let's say one time I knew that somebody I know and was getting advice from was traveling around the country. I think they tweeted that they were going to be hitting these different cities. And so one of those cities, I think, was a city that I used to live in. So I emailed them and said, hey, by the way, I saw on Twitter that you're going to be in this town. Here are the three places I would recommend you eat at. And I just sent them some recommendations. It can be as simple as that. Just be diligent, be creative, be original. And it can be a small thing. It's about the gesture. It's about the thoughtfulness. And so there are lots of creative ways you can add value, even if you think professionally you can't yet. Um, And the other thing is there are a lot of people out there who are willing to give advice and extend help and do a lot of mentorship who already know that you maybe don't have that much to offer them professionally yet. So you don't have to feel this intense pressure of, oh, I can only reach out to this person if I have something to offer. And then you figure out some awkward, clumsy, contrived thing. You don't have to do all that. Mm -hmm. If you can and if it makes sense, then do it. But also know that there are people out there who just love to give advice and who love to help. Yeah. And on the other end of that, like I'm thinking back to some people that helped me at the beginning of my career in L.A., like 
I would totally do whatever I could to help them in the podcasting world or music world or like if they wanted creative coaching because they did so much for me. They gave so much to me when I first moved here. And you never know on the other side of things if you help someone who they're going to be someday. Exactly. You know, it all comes back around. And one more thing I'll add is there's a misconception that I used to have, which was the more important, quote unquote, um, important somebody is, the less likely they will be to respond to me or help me. But that's actually not true. It really just varies. It Mm -hmm. really depends on the person. So the lesson here is it's always worth asking. Just make the ask and you never know. I love it. So you moved on from Potion. Yes. What came next? So I was working on Potion and I had, like I said, I'd recently moved to LA from San Francisco. So I didn't know that many people here. And I wanted to connect with other women who were starting brands similar to mine that were physical product based and also mission driven. I found that (laughs) this is generalizing, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it. We love a generalization. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of the men that I met who were in e-commerce, which is the industry I was in, were very brilliant. We're kind of doing it to just arbitrage and turn a quick profit. Mm. And a lot of the women I would meet anecdotally, obviously this is not a hard and fast role. Anecdotally, I met a lot of women who were doing it because it was coming from a values-driven place. It was a mission-driven thing for them. And they cared about building a brand that really sort of was durable and lasting and made a difference and told a compelling story. And I loved that. So I wanted to create a community that catered more to that kind of a founder. And I also just wanted a space where I could hang out with other women online and offline. And so I started this group. I started a community for women who were all e-commerce founders. And at first it was really, really slow going. It was just, I think it was like 17 people. Our first dinner was actually not far from here. It was at Bakery on West 3rd Street. And that's a cool name. Bakery. Bakery. I'm going to the Bakery. Bakery is so good. Is by it the a bakery? Way. No, it's like this Italian restaurant. It's it's really cute. It has this like indoor outdoor vibe and lots of good wine. So mm, let's go. <laughs> and uh, and and so I started this community. And I just really enjoyed bringing these women together. So I kept growing it. And I also wanted to make sure it was an actually valuable community. I think something about me is that if I do something, I like to try to, I'm somewhat of a contrarian at heart. I don't know what it is. Sometimes Mm. I feel like it's almost excessive, but I do feel this constant compulsion to do things in a different way, no matter what I am doing. So Mm. with this Facebook group, I was thinking, okay, there's so many groups out there. How do I make this different? How do I make this one group that people join and don't just forget about? And so I started to bring in guest speakers to teach classes. And, you know, we're talking about networking. I'm really shameless about networking and cold emailing people. And so I would reach out to these people that I thought were really incredible, inspiring experts. And I would basically ask them, Hey, I have this community of women e-commerce founders. They would love to learn from you. And to this day, Lauren, I have pitched probably a hundred people on this. One person has ever said no because she was way too busy. And that has been a testament to the power of forming a community that is both very specific. So I made it clear to them, Hey, this isn't going to be another interview where you just have to say all these talking points that you say everywhere else. We're focused on actionable tactical content. So finding a way to differentiate and making it more interesting for everybody involved. And also because it was more of a mission-driven thing, it was focused on women, right? It wasn't just, hey, come talk to us because we're all trying to make more money here. It was, Mm -hmm. hey, help this group of women who are trying to do things that matter. And so that was compelling to people. So I think that also added a lot of value to the community. They appreciated it. We had a bunch of meetups in LA for, you know, months and months before the pandemic. And And so that evolved into something where the members of the community started to message me and email me and say, you are putting in so much work, creating so much content. You need to start charging for this. You're like, oh, like, Yeah, I was like, huh, that's a good idea. Maybe I should. Um, You don't say. So so I think I'm somebody who, um, for better or worse, I like to just sort of like create an give value and add value. And so I was doing that, but then I realized I should probably monetize this because I'm putting so much time into it. And the other thing is when you charge for something, people value it more, right? They engage with it more. It's Mm. kind of a paradox, but it is important to know, especially when it comes to education. And so I pivoted and around that time I was realizing, okay, potion is not really profitable and it's not scalable. I'm putting so much of my blood, sweat and tears into this, but it's just not really Um, something that financially is as scalable as I thought it was going to be. So why don't I take the same energy and put it into something that has better margins? So can we pause on that for a minute? Because 
I know at the time when you started it, it was your heart. You started it because your mom was going through some health stuff and yeah. she couldn't use fragrance anymore. Mm-hmm. Had a really heart-based place because everything you do has that. Yeah. Um, was there any pain or heartbreak in giving up that dream or was it just like on to the next thing? I love this question so much because I think it's a conversation that people don't have enough mm-hmm. for me. I don't know about for other people, but for me, it was really hard to arrive at that decision. It felt like potion was my first baby. Yeah. And I'm a creative and an entrepreneur at heart. So it meant a lot to me. It had a lot of symbolic significance to me too. I also was afraid of feeling like I had given up on something. And in a way, I think I also felt a little bit of sort of self-doubt and like I was succumbing to this narrative that I was a failure Mm. because it felt like I had such high hopes for it and and I told everybody I knew about it and then I was pivoting away from it so there was a little bit of difficulty in that and it took me I was dragging my feet on really sort of making that pivot for a while but I then realized it's totally okay that it was a learning experience and and it sounds trite to say it but I think sometimes when you're in it and you really sort of attach your identity to something that you're working on it can be really hard to admit that it's not necessarily working. So if somebody else is in that stage right now where it's been a while, they've put their all into it, they're still putting their all into it, it's not, either it's not bringing them joy, they're not making profit out of it, whatever it is, their creative project isn't working in the way they want it to. How can they know if it's time to give up or if it's time to double down in a different way? There are two types of answers here. One is the heart-based answer and one is the sort of mind-based answer. Let's go for both. Okay. (laughs) So let's start with sort of the rational answer, which is to assess what your long-term goals are, what your financial situation is, and see if you can continue taking those risks, right? Because no matter what we want to do creatively or entrepreneurially, we have hard limits. Most of us have hard limits in terms of how much financial risk we're willing to take and also how much we can take and for how long. And so that gets factored into account. And so knowing your own appetite for risk and how much longer you can continue to do that is important. Um, And if it's profitable, then how profitable do you want whatever you do to be? What are your long-term goals and does it align with that, right? Maybe it's just barely profitable, but actually where you want to be in five years is you want to be balling out and that's totally fine. And we love that for you. So make your decisions accordingly. And then the heart-based answer is, I think that if anything is lighting you up and making you feel more alive and making you feel like your cup is full, then keep doing it. And if it's not, then don't do it. Gorgeous. (laughs) Mic drop. Okay. So then how did you take Commerce Club, which is the group on Facebook, and turn it into Make Lane? So I started by launching a membership and I basically said, hey, you guys, you know, these workshops we've been doing multiple times a week that you find so valuable. We're basically going to be doing more of those. And in order to access the extra content, you can just pay a monthly fee. And uh, I think we had a pretty strong conversion rate from a community of, I think at the time, maybe 800 people, 4% of them converted to paid. And a lot of them messaged me and said, hey, I don't exactly know what this is all about, but I trust you and I like everything you've done. Mm -hmm. And if your free content is that good, then I can only imagine what the paid stuff's going to be like. So I think that was a really great vote of confidence and also a testament to giving value before you start charging for something or before you really sort of convert people to a paid product. But that is how it started. It started with a membership, which we ran for seven months. And then we tried paid classes and courses and masterminds. We've done a bunch since then, but they all basically have in common the fact that they are designed to accelerate women-owned businesses. I love that. And then at the same time, you started Startup Store. I did. This is my obsession because I was saying it for years. I'm like, you know what? I mean, I love all my friends. I love all my friends and I'm in love now too. So I get it a little bit more than I did before. But like, I'm sorry. I've gone to so many baby showers. I've gone to so many wedding showers. I've gone to fucking, you know, everything under the sun. I've paid thousands and thousands of dollars to support my friends. Mm -hmm. Who was there when I did my music video? No one. Yeah. Crickets, crickets, crickets. So this was like the most brilliant thing I ever heard of because I'm like, why do I have to spend thousands of dollars to go to your party that you're doing by choice? But anyone can do that. And we have a rubric for it. But like, I'm trying to pursue my dreams and there's no rubric and no one wants me to do it. There's no societal pressure. If anything, there's societal pressure to not do it. 
and I'm out here stranded on an island by myself. So tell them about Startup Store because it's my everything. Okay. And <laughs> you know what? I remember um, after I launched it, you and I ran into each other at the Girl Boss Rally in LA and you were just saying such lovely things about it. And you were like, I have such a good feeling about this. And I just, I love being seen like that by you. So that's a side note, but I see you girl. (laughs) So a few months after I turned commerce club into a business and called Mm -hmm. it make lane, I, and by the way, make lane is a name that I had in 2015 when I was still working at Google, I was on the Google bus and I was like, I hate my job and I don't want to go, but then what do I actually want to do? And I was brainstorming all these potential businesses I could do. Um, and what's funny is the idea I came up with was kind of a mashup of potion and make lane, uh, ironically enough, but the name was make lane and I got that domain then. And I was just parking that domain for like years and years. So everything you guys, if you have something that's sort of like tugging at you and tugging at your heart, it will come back to you and it'll be there. And, and I think it's just destiny. So after I started make lane, I remember just having that same thought as you, which was women get thrown business showers. We get thrown baby showers. There's this sort of societal narrative that it's a celebratory milestone to Mm -hmm. start a family, which yes, it is. It's a beautiful thing. And at the same time, we're no longer living in a century where those are the only milestones to celebrate in a woman's life. Women are starting businesses left and right. And we don't have these societal and cultural norms that support that or celebrate that. And I just had this feeling of we should have business showers. That should be a thing. And this was before Elon Musk tweeted about it. This was before all the sort of um, noise about it. But I remember coming up with that idea and I shared it offhand with some friends and even my guy friends were like, that's brilliant. I love yeah. that. That's so clever. And then I came up with like the cheeky, playful name, Startup Stork. <laughs> I love it. And I got the domain and I got a Squarespace website. And basically I just created the landing page and that was it. And I, I created a few guides, like a spreadsheet of items you could potentially have people support you in getting financially if you're starting a business. Um, I created a PDF on how to throw a business shower. And it was just like a little downloadable kit that people could click on the button and, and just have as a reference. And honestly, it was kind of a janky landing page. It was like, you know, it was something that took me probably a day or a weekend to put together. And I shared it in some communities I was a part of on Facebook. And the response blew my mind. The only other thing since then that has gotten the same amazing response is my TikTok account. Oh, we're going to get to the talk. Oh, we will get into that. Oh, we're getting into the talk. (laughs) I love it because all I can talk about is TikTok. So, (laughs) So everybody, so people were just absolutely enthused about it and we were getting such great feedback about it. And so that's when I felt like, wow, there's something here. But at the time, I didn't know what to do with it. I mean, honestly, I st- it's still sort of like a-, a website. And what I think it can be is a, is a movement. And I, think I want it to be like the Zola of yes. startups. You know what? I was like, <laughs> I, I, I love that because I started looking into that. Um, okay. So what happened <laughs> with Startup Stork? I launched that landing page. I shared it in some groups. People loved it. My mom got me this t-shirt with flamingos on it because she thought they were storks. I love But she, mom. <laughs> she's so cute. She's oh my so gosh. Cute. She like, she was like, oh, I got you this shirt. And she shows me the shirt. And I was like, oh, this is so cute, mom. Why, why did you get me this shirt? And she's like, cause because they're storks, like startup stork. And then she looked at it and then she was like, wait a minute, those are not storks, those are flamingos. In a way, they're storks. It was, it's <laughs> now my favorite shirt. I will never, ever lose this shirt. Um, I love it. So it was such a cute moment. She's always supported everything I do. So so I did that and then I kind of parked it because I was like, well, that was fun. I don't know what to do with this. And I was working on Make Lane. And then a year later, I had this desire to upgrade the website. Um, and earlier this year, I just had this feeling of, you know what? I want to like revisit this. I want to spruce up the website a little bit. I still think this is a narrative that people should know about and mm-hmm. should propagate. So I redid the website and then I shared it again in some of the same groups, got the same crazy enthusiastic feedback. Lots of women, especially being like, this is amazing. I wish this happened for me or I want to do a business yeah. shower. And then somehow I should have asked her about this because I still don't know how this happened, but Somehow I got this email from this woman who reached out and said, hi, I'm a reporter for the New York Times. I want to talk about business showers in the Sunday business section. I want to include startup stork. Are you the right person to talk to? So I completely lost it. And I was like, oh my God, of course. And at the time I was in Miami, I distinctly remember being on the couch and like practically hyperventilating. I was so excited. 
And then we got on the phone. I told her about Startup Storic and why I thought something like that needed to exist. And then she was like, okay, we'll write about it in a few weeks. So fast forward a few months, I don't hear from her. And I assume, okay, I guess that's just not going to happen. So this is the crazy part, Lauren. This is the crazy part. And I know you're going to appreciate this because we we have the same woo vibes. Yeah. So what happened was for Make Lane, I was launching my very first course. We were launching our first course and it was such a huge amount of work to promote it. I had hired somebody part-time. I felt like our first two instructors were really taking a bet on us and I felt so honored, but I also felt a lot of pressure to deliver and make sure we could fill the class. So I was just doing everything I could to promote the course and make sure people were applying and getting people into those seats. And so I was busy. I was stressed and I was busy. Oh, also I was fundraising at the time because I had started fundraising since then I decided not to, but I had a lot going on and I was really stressed. And so I didn't really have the luxury to like step away from that and do something else. And you were pitching to VC? I was. Okay. Okay. So VC, for those that don't know, it's venture capitalists. Yes. And this was sometime, I want to say in June or July of this year. And so I, I had no free time. I was super stressed and I was doing a lot and I was working really hard. But for some weird reason, I had this idea, this like idea, just sort of this inspiration in my like soul And I was basically feeling so guided to not redo the website again, but add some copy to it and update the email sort of opt-in form and just add some things to it. And I thought- On Startup Stork. Yes, on Startup Stork. And it made no sense because I hadn't been touching that website for a while. I had forgotten about it. I had so much else to do, but I kept having this feeling. And at this point in my life, Lauren, I, when I have that feeling, I can tell what that intuitive feeling is. And so I, I've learned to follow those intuitive hits. So I was like, I, this makes no sense to me and I'm kind of terrified, but I have no choice. I have to do it. (laughs) So I followed that impulse and I added an email Um, opt-in form so I could capture people's email addresses. I spruced it up. I added some other content. And then a few days later, this reporter reaches out to me again. She emails me and says, we're going to drop this article. We're going to publish it in two days. Are these facts correct? This literally blew my mind. It blew my mind. The timing was crazy. And I felt so excited, but I also, I felt excited and thrilled, but also I wasn't surprised. Does that make sense? Yeah. Some part of me has come to really trust this intuitive impulse. And so when that happened, I was like, oh, that's why I was being guided to do that. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And so that was pretty crazy. I mean, I I just randomly, this idea that I had on a random like day and I created the Squarespace around it and forgot about it and maybe updated it a few times since then, it ended up in the New York Times and in the print edition as well. And so did you see traffic from that come to Make Lane as well? I did, but not as much as you would think. You know, what's interesting is the New York Times that is obviously a paper that's legendary and has huge reach, but it's a very broad general audience. Mm-hmm. And so for something like Make Lane, you don't necessarily get a lot of qualified traffic or leads. You get somewhat of a bump in traffic, but it doesn't really turn into anything. I'll say that with all press almost. Like yeah, if you're doing true. Good Morning America or you're doing one of the big talk shows, yeah. you see a bigger conversion rate from that. Yes, Print media at least in my experience, whether it's me or any of the shows I've worked on, yeah. I don't see as big of a bump from that as you'd think. It's more about the clout that it brings to your brand. Yes, I've heard that too. So mm-hmm. it's an awareness play and it's also a reason to, you know, put the logos, the fancy logos on your website. Mm-hmm. Like Business Insider saw the New York Times article and then covered the exact same thing. And yeah. that actually was a more qualified source of traffic for me because it's a more 
business-focused audience, that led to traffic and leads. Amazing. Yeah. So businesses are doing really well. Do you still have a part-time person working with you? No. So she was helping me mostly with launching that particular course and running it. Um, So now it's mostly still me solo. Um, and the main business is still make lane. So startup store, it's not, I would love to turn it into the Zola for business showers, but I haven't done that yet. Okay. I know. I like know I you have to do I that. Know. The thing about me is I'm such a creative that I have I know. 10 million ideas at any given time. And then I start chasing all of them and, and you're doing really well though. Thank so, you. Okay. Let's talk about the talk. Okay. The talk. <laughs> you're killing it on TikTok. Thank you. You're like the queen of TikTok. Oh my God. So you started out doing like random videos and trying okay. to figure it out. So take us through your so journey because people want to grow on TikTok. And what I was yes. saying to you before this is most people who get big on TikTok are like in Elwoods in, uh, <laughs> in Legally Blonde. They're like, what? Like it's hard. <laughs> and yeah, it is. Yeah. But you figured it out and you've done it really well. So share with the people what you're doing. Okay. So I'll share that with you. But first, let me share with you why I started doing it. So every December, towards the end of December, I set my goals for the next year. Mm-hmm. And I like to tune into what desires sort of want to surface, what wants to happen, what themes and words emerge, um, what feels intuitive for me. That's sort of my process. And when I was doing that a year ago, I really wanted to create content. That's what was coming up for me. And at first I was surprised by that because I was thinking, oh, I didn't know I loved that so much. And also I'm surprised because I thought that would be something I would do down the road. Mm. But my desire was I want to have some kind of platform where I have the number that came to mind was I want at least 10,000 followers. That was the thing. And I didn't know, I had no idea how I would do that, what kind of content I would create, how I would get there. I was just like, that's what I want. I want an audience. It's not just because of the number. It's because I want to reach women who are like-minded that I love talking to about things that I'm passionate about. That's what I really wanted. And fast forward to September I don't have many followers on Instagram. I was not on TikTok. I was not anywhere else. And I realized in late September, holy shit, if I don't start creating content soon, then I'm not going to achieve my goal. And at the time, my roommate, she has actually a lot of followers on TikTok and she was creating a lot of TikTok content. So I was inspired by that. And I thought, okay, I don't know if this is going to get me to my goal. And if I, if it doesn't, then that's not the end of the world. But I just love kind of pushing the edges of my comfort zone and, and forcing myself to feel a little bit uncomfortable in healthy, creative ways. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to go for it. And you had done a couple of these over the past year, like hundred day challenges where you'd create some sort of content every single day. Yes. So So it's something you're used to doing. 100%. And that was so important, Lauren, because when I was doing that for the first time last November, so over a year ago, I started doing that with YouTube. I just felt like, you know what? Like, I want to just test out YouTube. I want to create content. I want to share the things that are in my heart. So I decided to commit to publishing one YouTube video a day for 100 days, which I did. Um, I eventually had to switch to IGTV because I ended up in the hospital in February because I got sepsis from a kidney infection. You guys, this is a very long story, so I won't go into it, but it was absolutely nuts. It's scary. <laughs> it was very scary. Out of nowhere, I mean, I, I'm like a pretty healthy person, but this just kind of hit me. And then I ended up in the hospital and it was COVID, so nobody could visit me. And I was in the hospital for days and days. They gave me the wrong antibiotics. So I couldn't like recover. And then it got worse and it was crazy, but I was in the emergency room and all their normal beds were full. So I was in this miserable, dark little room, just feeling physically in pain. And I was determined to not miss a day of my YouTube videos. You gotta love her. I mean, (laughs) fucking dedication. I'm a maniac. So I was like, I'm not going to lose my streak. And (laughs) that was that first day in the hospital in the emergency room was the one time I very seriously was like, okay, maybe I have a good excuse to miss one day. (laughs) Maybe, but maybe not. (laughs) But I was like, no, I have to keep up the streak. So I, I did a video. So anyway, I did that 100 days and I was really determined and disciplined about it. And for me, it wasn't about the content. It was about learning to become uncomfortable with over overcoming perfectionism and learning to just ship content because I am such a perfectionist and my perfectionism makes me procrastinate. And I think that's true of a lot of people Mm -hmm. who are creative, but they're worried about making something super polished before they put it out into the world. But honestly, people are not paying that close attention and it's fine. It's not the end of the world. No one cares. (laughs) Get over yourself. You're fine. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you're not going to get better unless you start to ship stuff. So I realized that that was a hurdle for me. So I did this hundred day challenge. It was a fun experiment, but what it did for me, I didn't, I barely got many followers on 
YouTube. But what it did for me was it helps me break through this inner block of perfectionism. And so when I did the TikTok challenge, I had already gotten to a place of being really comfortable looking silly and just putting stuff out there and hearing crickets. I'd already gotten through that energetically. And so when I started in September, I was thinking, okay, if I want to have 10,000 followers anywhere, then I guess it has to start with TikTok because you can go viral the easiest on TikTok. And I was inspired by my roommate. So I just started creating content for fun. And at first I was doing three videos a day typically. And I was just doing kind of goofy lip syncs and not quite dances because I'm a terrible dancer and I didn't want to embarrass myself like that or subject other people to watching that. (laughs) I want to see that. (laughs) And I can't sing. And, (laughs) you know, and also acting and lip syncing was hard too. So I was like, wow, I'm not set up for success here, but I'm just going to keep doing it because it's a lot of fun. And I was actually having a lot of fun with TikTok. I just thought it was such a fun, playful, whimsical platform. But for three weeks, I was posting about three times a day every day and I wasn't getting anywhere. And looking back, it's laughable to say this, but I I felt like I was doing it enough that I should have gone viral by then. (laughs) Well, because to your point, people who go viral on TikTok make it seem like it's breathing. Exactly. It's just like, all I did was I woke up one day, took a breath and I had a million people. All I did was I was absolutely genetically gifted with my face and I just showed my face. Yeah. Everyone loved it. (laughs) And so I felt a little discouraged by that but then I kept creating content kept creating random content and a lot of content I hear this from so many people on TikTok you painstakingly put together content and then sometimes it's the thing that is just the throwaway for you that ends up going viral and I did this silly thing about how Asian men are being fetishized I was being satirical but people missed Mm -hmm. the joke and then they got really upset with me which was fine um (laughs) you handle that really well thank you how do you suggest people deal with quote-unquote haters or just mean people on the internet. Yeah, I I don't know that I handle it well because sometimes I never take it personally. But what I do feel is I feel so strongly that there needs to be more compassion and, and sort of kindness in the world that when other people are sort of lashing out at fellow humans, it sort of offends me by principle and not necessarily because I'm taking it personally, if that makes sense. So sometimes it does bother me because it just makes me feel a little bit jaded about how are we ever going to learn to love each other if people are yelling at each other on TikTok? Um, yeah. But but that's just part of life. Um, but I think the way is I try to just sort of be humorous about it. I try not to engage with trolls, but when I do, it's it's like funny. Well, at least I think it's funny. <laughs> I think it's very funny. I mean, you'll, you'll clap back at people. Yeah, you know? do. You'll do like reply videos. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like that, I think maybe taking the power back by making a joke out of it. Julia yeah. Cameron, author of The Artist's Way, says yeah. the same thing. Oh, she yeah. does? Oh, I, yeah, I like make that. a joke out of it. Yeah, I like that. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's almost like there's a fixed percentage of people who are always going to troll you and hate on you as you scale any kind of following or any mm-hmm. kind of audience. I almost feel like it's inevitable. It's like a rite of passage. It really is. And and if your work is reaching anyone, then there are always going to be people who actually one of my roommates, she manages big YouTube creators who have millions of subscribers and followers. And so she's used to coaching people through that process of learning to deal with the trolls and the haters. And what she says is a lot of those people who are commenting nasty or mean or negative things, first of all, they're just looking for significance, right? They're looking to get your attention because they feel so unseen and unheard. And the other thing is sometimes when you reply to them in a thoughtful way without reacting, they actually convert into your biggest fans. Oh yeah. Which is wild. I always, I mean, I don't have many haters, but cause I haven't gone crazy viral on TikTok, <laughs> but maybe Not it'll yet. help me. Yeah. But what I like to do, this is a little bit vindictive, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> so I write back a really thoughtful reply and then I follow them. <laughs> and guess what? Yeah. They never say anything Kill mean them with ever kindness. again. I love yeah. it. They don't know what to do. Yeah. They're so confused. <laughs> they're like, what the they're hell? like short circuiting. follow me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Honestly, people are hurting and mm-hmm. they take it out in funny ways. And, and sometimes when you don't react, then they kind of soften. So, yeah. Or they go away. Yeah. So basically I started to go viral with a kind of a random funny post, but then what I really wanted to do, and I was telling my roommate about this, um, I was saying, man, like I'm not really going anywhere with this TikTok thing and I've committed to a hundred days. So I would like for it to go somewhere, 
And the content I really want to create is nerdy business topics. I want to nerd out about brands and businesses and especially female founders and female founded brands. And I was nervous that nobody would care. And I felt a little bit like, because this is so important to me, not just for TikTok, but just this is the area where I want to be working in some capacity for the rest of my career, basically. Because of that, if this flops on TikTok, I... I'm going to assume that it's just not going to work. It was this mm. catastrophizing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was a lot of pressure that I was putting on it, which was not the way to think about it. But I almost was thinking, well, if nobody likes it on this platform, does that mean it's ever going to work anywhere? And that's not necessarily a healthy mindset. But I think what was happening there is I had such a yearning yeah. to go in that direction that it felt really precious and sort of vulnerable for me. Yeah. Well, it's like everything's the same everywhere, right? So like when you meet someone you really fall in love with and like feel like they're the one, there's also a fear like, but what if I'm wrong about yes, this? Yes. Yeah. You know, like I'm recently fell in love like hardcore for yes. like, not the first time I've been in love before, but like the first time it's felt right. And like, it could be like a long-term thing. And it's scary to admit that because I'm like, but what if it's not? Because if it's not, then I'm wrong. And then what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Th- then can I not trust myself? Totally. And is it ever going to happen? It is ever going to happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really apt. Um, they're very analogous. I was having that experience with TikTok where I was thinking, I love media. I love content. I love content about women. I love content empowering and supporting women. That's sort of what makes me feel the most alive. And that's what I really want to do on TikTok. Not this lip syncing stuff, but I was afraid of doing it. And I was holding back, but then my roommate gave me a little bit of a nudge. I think she actually showed me this like very motivational, intense Will Smith YouTube video. And I was like, all right, I'm sold. So, <laughs> so in conclusion, if you're having a hard time motivating, Listen to Will Smith. go ahead and watch that YouTube video of Will Smith. Yeah, maybe I should find Top it. Top takeaway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, he's an inspiring dude. So I started to do it and I was like, well, Things that are doing well on TikTok seem to be celebrity gossip. I don't care about celebrity gossip, but I can maybe find the intersection of women founders, women in business, and some celebrity topics. So I thought, let's create some Kardashian content. Let's go for it. And I have never really seen an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I didn't know too much about them, but I did a deep dive into Kris Jenner and Kim Kardashian and her different businesses. And I actually realized, I walked away from it thinking, this is actually really fascinating. They're, mm-hmm. they're really savvy businesswomen, and I, and I like that, and I respect that. So I created some videos and basically the second one went viral. And now I think it's at over 2 million views. Oh my gosh. It was about skims. It was about the different failed businesses that the Kardashians have started. Oh, it was so encouraging (laughs) to watch. Yeah. And I think that's probably why people loved it so much. It was like, even these people who are billionaires, some of them fucked up so many times for so long and for so long. It just kept throwing spaghetti at a wall. Exactly. Exactly. It took the pressure off of all of us. Yes. And that was the point of the video. And I think some people missed it and thought I was being a hater, but I actually respect anybody who's willing to fail that many times because as you can see, my career has been winding even as an entrepreneur and that's just part of it. You should do a video about that. Like replying to your own video. Can you do at your own video? Maybe. Because that would be really cool. It's like, okay, here's the biggest misconception about this video. People thought I was hating on them. I was actually admiring them and feeling like some sort of kinship with them. Right, Because I've been there too. Yes. And they've done it on a huge scale. So I figure maybe I can succeed and sometimes fail on a huge scale too. And I think when people look at that, it's like, well, if they had all that money and all those resources and all that access and still were failing for over a decade until they hit some big jackpots in terms of businesses, then... Failure is just normal. It's just mm-hmm. a normal part of the process. And you have to iterate and you have to learn and grow. And also, I think, you know, this is something I want to bring up with you because this is how I think about it. And I don't necessarily think this is the language that people use for it. Sometimes you need to step into the person you need to be to start the thing that's really going to click for you. <sighs> yes. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there's there's Called a lot there. Out. Called yeah. out. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's been amazing. So that video took off and yes. then it was, it's kind of been off to the races since then. Kind of. Yeah. And, and it's the thing about TikTok is that it happens in spurts. You have a video that takes off and then it drives a lot of increase in followers and mm-hmm. some videos don't. And you just have to, you cannot predict what will and what won't. It's really difficult to predict. I almost think TikTok does that intentionally to just keep you sort of on that content treadmill because they want more content and engagement, but you just have to keep creating. You have to be consistent. And the other thing is, here's one thing that I wish I knew. I see a lot of accounts that 
go viral really quickly because of a cool dance or somebody is just really beautiful. There are a lot of things like that, but I think what is different when you choose a very niche topic and let yourself, let's say like you want to nerd out about science or something, Mm -hmm. right? Or I don't know, crypto or... (laughs) Yes, please. Teach me. (laughs) And uh, if there's something that you think people won't be interested in, I... I can almost promise you that whatever interest you have, that's a real hardcore passion for you that you think is niche. TikTok will find your people. It will, because there are 1 billion monthly active users there. And some people will be interested in what you're looking for or what you're interested in. And TikTok is the best way to find those people. And when you create content like that, instead of just doing fun dances, you are way more differentiated. I get, even when I was under 10,000 followers, now I'm at 25,000, even when I was under 10,000, People would find me on Instagram and message me and say, I'm obsessed with your TikTok. You're my new favorite creator. I've been binging on your videos. I would love to meet you or I would love to talk to you or I'd love to get you on the phone. And look how the tables have turned. (laughs) A few LinkedIn reach outs, a few TikTok videos. You too could be a Dolma. (laughs) And so I think the lesson here is that it's not just the following or the virality that counts. It's the substance and the Mm -hmm. heart and the soul and the work that you put into the videos. Not to say that every video has to take a lot of time. I've chosen something very research intensive. I mean, I don't know how you do it because to me, if I had to do one of those videos, it would take me three weeks. It's, it's I don't know how you do it. (laughs) I don't know. It's wild. So you have to check out, it's at I am Dolma, D-U-L-M-A. Yes. These videos are like, each of them are a one to three minute masterclass. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's fascinating. I learned so much from you. You're an Uh, amazing teacher. I love it because the first time you came on my podcast, you said my passion, like in my heart, like my, what did you call it? It's a, you said it was the love of your life writing yeah, yeah. and your writing really comes through in yeah. these. Yeah. I really see what an amazing writer you are. And I said, and I predict that this is going to lead to your, whatever it is you want to write your first yeah. book. I see you writing a book. Yeah. I love being a messenger. That's what I love mm-hmm. in my heart of hearts. That's what I am. And whether that's being a messenger about interesting business insights that I feel like can inspire and empower women, or whether that's more spiritual or whether that's about my journey, which is still really in the early phases, I feel I just want to be that conduit for truth and inspiration. That's all I ever want, really. And and so I think that can take a lot of formats. And right now it's TikTok. So you said you're in the early stages. A lot of times when we're in the early stages, especially if we're driven and passionate Mm -hmm. and have big goals, Mm -hmm. it's easy to fight that Mm -hmm. and be like, why am I not further ahead? Oh, yeah. What's beautiful about being in this stage? Oh, this is such a powerful question. Um, What's beautiful about being at this stage is at some point, you know, when we achieve what we've wanted to achieve, when we've lived a full life, we're going to look back on the early days of whatever we were doing. And we're going to romanticize that. And we're going to have so much nostalgia about that. And we're going to feel like, wow, I would give anything to be back there doing it all over again. And I actively try these days in my life to view my present day through the eyes of my future self, really romanticizing every aspect of it, including my relationships with my loved ones. Because also I'm going to look back on that, right? And think, wow, I wish I could have just squeezed every moment out of the time I had with those people. And so I think this practice of romanticizing your present day, it's the key. Dilma, I can't think of a better way to end. (laughs) I'm so unbelievably proud of you. I have chills all up and down my body. Mm. Romanticize the present moment. (laughs) My little beautiful creative listeners, may you all do that. And may we all have the bravery and the heart and the courage and the damn persistence of Doma Alton. I love you. I love you too. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Dolma Alton. For more info on Dolma, follow her at I am Dolma on Instagram and TikTok. And to learn more about Make Lane, go to makelane.com. Thanks so much to Unleash producer Emily Shulmanovich. You can follow her at We Can't Find Emily. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow the show on Spotify. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag Dolma at I am Dolma so she can share too. My wish for you this week is that you don't let failure get in the way. 
Make it part of the way and see how much you learn and expand. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.